0: Thank you. I'm your husband, host Travis McElroy, and I'm your wife, host Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners, it's extraordinary etiquette for ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove,
1: hello, dear. How are you? All things considered, I'm doing just fine.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, it's uh, can I tell you, it's wild time dilation. Uh, we're sitting in this booth, I was like, it's been forever since we were, and it's been like two weeks, but it's wild to just be like. Two weeks, might as well have felt like two years. Really, but forever. I can't remember. I when we started doing the intro, I was like, I just let go and <laughs> like God, and I hope I open my mouth and the right words come out. You know what I mean? They did. Good job. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, man. Oh boy, almost summer. Oh, I got senioritis over here. <laughs> Just once we hit summer, man, no more teachers. Is that
1: that when you're so old that all you think about is summer? Is that what senioritis is? No, it's when
0: you're a senior in high school. I
1: know. I know.
0: I'm not that old. This is a joke. I'm not even for it. I I will say this. I learned recently. It has nothing to do with the other side. That I'm, like, 10 years older than Kelsey Grammer was when he started filming Cheers. You look
1: so much better, though. Hey,
0: thank you. Don't let Kelsey Grammer hear you say that, but thank you so much. Kelsey, um, she didn't mean it. No, he's <laughs> crying now.
1: A lot of the people in that show looked a lot older. And I feel like that's a kind of, like, old-school television thing, right? Where, like, they they looked a lot older than they actually were. And nowadays, we just cast, like, teenagers, no we don't don't do we people tend to what am i talking about people tend to look a lot older i'm thinking about like euphoria right all of those people are supposed to be teenagers but they're like in their mid-20s well i
0: think a lot of it has to do too because i i saw a thing uh recently where it was like when you look at tv from like the 70s and 80s and even like early 90s and stuff and you're like those people look so old right but it's If you swap out like haircuts and fashions, like what they're wearing, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, they look more of what I think a 32 year old should look like. Right. Because a lot of it is just like when I see, for example, Ted Danson in Cheers, his haircut is like what I associate like. Yeah, that's what like an old person looks like, right? That, okay. That's my dad's haircut.
1: Which is why probably in that it was a TikTok that you watched, right? Correct. Probably that's why Woody Harrelson actually looks like he's mid twenties because he's just got short blonde hair and he's wearing a tux.
0: Yeah, and it's a lot of that, and like, I, it also though was like the way that people cast stuff, where especially like think about Cheers, where yeah. I think the casting was like, we want these people to look. Like, this is, like, a working man. Like, John is like, 34 when mm-hmm. that show started. And he's the guy who plays uh, Cliff, the uh, mailman. And it's, like, we want him to look like a guy who delivers mail in Boston, right? And so they cast a guy who looked like he'd been working his whole life and not, like, somebody who, you know, looked... Like, he may be 34, but he looks like he's 20. This isn't the OC,
1: they said to themselves. Can
0: I tell you? I was actually thinking uh, about characters from the essay when I was talking about that.
1: (laughs) Okay. uh, By the way, this has nothing to do with our show this week. Okay. Just a little insight into our lives, listeners.
0: Oh, but I do want to write up to up here in all seriousness uh, a bit of a a trigger content warning here. Uh, The person we're going to be discussing uh, wrote a lot of poems that uh, involve topics of like self harm. Um, I don't think that the show will contain actual like discussions of self harm, but she did write poetry that contained self harm.
1: Yes. Okay. We have said in bits and pieces a little bit about a very famous witty, actually famous for her witticisms, a writer, Dorothy Parker.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Um, but we haven't actually done a, a, a biography on them, so here it is.
0: Now, I'm sure we'll get to it, but she was in the Algonquin Roundtable, right? Indeed, okay. yes, and we've talked about that as well.
1: So here is here's another... Disclaimer, but only because the patriarchy is so strong. Okay. When you go through a lot of biographies of people of like this certain age, you often find that their histories are kind of shrouded in misogyny and half myths uh-huh. um, because male historians were often quick to turn successful women's origin stories into soap operas. Of scandal mm. and other way and other things like misfortunes in order to take away their power, and yes. this is not something that is uh, is unique to her, but it is something that um, we encounter around biographies of this period. Yes, so we are going to rely heavily on the biographer Marion Mead. It's something that um, has been corroborated by more than one source to be the closest to the truth. Okay. Okay? Okay. Uh, Dorothy Parker was born Dorothy Rothschild on uh, August 22nd, 1893. Uh, And she was born in uh, Long Branch, New Jersey, which is like a kind of like summer cottagey town, beach town, one of those. I would Um, like to
0: live in a summer cottagey beach town. Yeah, yeah. For a little bit, that if it's too warm, too long, I don't want no. I actually know what I said that I don't you don't in. really I, don't, I was I looking at you. Idea. I was like, no nah, I, never you mind. don't like
1: that um because um, I want
0: to live in a house that looks like it belongs to a witch <laughs> that is set way back from the road with lots and lots of trees between me and the roads. I want uh people to kind of hushed whisper as they walk past it and uh, I want it to always kind of be a little bit chilly inside. None of that is a joke. That's 100% true. If there could be some kind of body of water in the back, preferably like a little brook mm. or uh, a pond that's teeming with life, that would also be ideal.
1: This tracks. You have mentioned several times. This is
0: what I want. This is where I'm retiring to. Other people can have Florida. I want a witch's house. Thank you very much.
1: Um. So this is where a lot of people from New York City summered, right? Yeah. But shortly after Dorothy's birth, they returned to their Manhattan apartment uh, so that they could raise their daughter as a, quote, true New Yorker.
0: Oh, there it is. Okay.
1: Um, Unfortunately, her mother passed away very shortly uh, after Dorothy's fifth birthday. Um, And her father remarried two years later. And this is one of the instances that tend to get aggrandized in her life. Um, Some say that Dorothy hated her father and that he was not good to her and they had a strained relationship. And her wicked stepmother um, was a person that Dorothy refused to refer to anything other than the housekeeper. But Marion Mead says that this account is largely false. Um, Certainly, there were hard times and fathers of the period were often not very affectionate to their children. But uh, Marion Mead says that Parker grew up in an indulgent, supportive, generous, and privileged household. And her stepmom passed away in 1903, so, like, it wasn't that long of a time, right?
0: Wait, when was Dorothy Parker born?
1: Oh, she was born in 1893. Oh. And then her mother died in 1898, and then her stepmother passed in 1903.
0: Okay, now listen, hold on. I also listen to the true crime podcasts. I've been watching a lot of stuff on TikTok about true crime. This man went through two wives in like five years. So my eyebrows raised. It's also the turn of the century,
1: so lots of like disease and oh, hardships.
0: Okay, sure, but <laughs> okay, I think I'm onto something here.
1: So um, Parker grew up attending the Convent of the Blessed Sacrament and then went on to graduate from Miss Dana's School, which is...
0: What wildly different names for things, right? Well, so it was a
1: Catholic school and then a finishing school. But it was
0: the Convent of the Blessed Sacrament and Miss Dana's, (laughs) right? It was like just two different experiences. Yeah, I went to uh, the Convent of the Sacred, and then I went to Todd's.
1: All right. Uh, it is interesting to note, though, that Parker's schooling was largely at Christian institutions, even though her father was Jewish. Um, and she once joked that uh, she was asked to leave one of her Catholic schools because uh, she described the Immaculate Conception as a spontaneous combustion.
0: <gasps> oh, I love this. Scandalous. No, hilarious. Thought, man, <laughs> I'm looking at that, and if, if I'm a T, te- I don't care how devout you are. If a child. Kids uh, say the darndest thing, and if a kid said that to me, and I'm like a super devout person working in a convent, and the kid's like the uh, 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 spontaneous combustion, I would fall all <laughs> over myself laughing.
1: I know you would.
0: Gotta um, have a sense of humor to 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 just to exist. Come on.
1: And Dorothy made a lot of jokes about her schooling, but it didn't make up for the fact that education was kind of a rough period in her life. Um, her father claimed that his daughter was Episcopalian, though um, she really, has said. he meant pescatarian. No. No. She has said that her, quote, dark Jewishness, as it was put, clearly made her an outsider. Mm. I don't know exactly what dark Jewishness means, maybe dark haired and olive toned skin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it also must
0: have been tough, man, education, because especially at the time we're talking about, like, you know, turn of the century, 1900s, it must have been tough just to be like an intelligent and like witty young woman. indeed. It must have been tough to, to like ask questions and mm-hmm. question things people were telling you and talk about the thing you wanted to be or what you wanted to do and someone would be like, No, 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 that's not you need to do this when you get bigger and they're like, No, I no thank you.
1: She does credit this, um this feeling of alienation. Um, with her kind of like biting and irreverent sense of humor, yeah, I think that that happens for a lot of writers and comedians and things like that where they find the kind of darkness in their life and turn it on its head to make it comedy
0: well, and it's also a thing when oh the, okay, please everybody, let me be me for a me for a second. This is like in uh Ted lasso, right when they give Jamie the signal i'm gonna oh. be I'm gonna be full blown Travis for a second sometimes when you're intelligent and being intelligent makes people who aren't as intelligent around you, make, it makes them angry when you're intelligent around them. Being funny and witty is a way to continue being that intelligent. And somebody laughs and they didn't realize like you maybe were uh, being a smarty pants, right? Uh-huh. Is that you were making mm-hmm. a joke out of it and they laugh and in your head you're thinking, you don't get it. You, I, yep, I can be funny and witty, as a way to showcase intelligence without making that person angry at me because I made them feel dumb because I'm so smart. I get it. I'm not saying it's me. Oh. I'm not saying I feel that way about myself. So she would
1: also later credit the shunning of her uh, from her classmates that would fuel much of her civil rights activism mm. later in life. Um, her father passed away when she was 20. At the time, she was making a living playing piano um, while she wrote poetry.
0: Ah,
1: And, you know. It must when... be difficult
0: to do those things at the same time.
1: <laughs> you do need your fingers, I think, to write. Maybe and she had the, the pen in her teeth? I don't know, honey.
0: Played the keys with her, f- f- her toes. Probably did
1: one and then the other. Ah. Uh, in 1914, when uh, Dorothy was just 21, um, her poem entitled Any Porch... Was accepted by Vanity Fair. Ooh, la, la. And then a year later, she got hired to do editorial and caption writing for Vogue. Zootalore. So she was in. And this was the time that she also got married to her first husband, who they would divorce in 1928, but she did keep his last name. Um, and then she spent two years as a staff writer for Vogue and then moved back to Vanity Fair um, mm. Just as Just like Devil a... Wears Prada. <laughs> I guess so.
0: No, I don't think that that happens to Devil no, Wears Prada. N- Just whenever so. someone says Vogue now, I think about Devil Wears
1: Prada. Mm. Uh, a movie
0: I've only seen once and apparently remember every detail An of.
1: inordinate amount of I detail. remember a
0: lot about it because I watched it as research for going to see the musical, <laughs> so I was really focused and really paying attention.
1: What your mind can do when you put put it's it to wild. something. It's wild. Yeah,
0: I can't remember people's birthdays or like someone like that I've met several times. I can't remember their name. But ask me about Emily Blunt's character arc in uh, in Devil Wars Prada. I'll tell you all about it.
1: This time, though, for Vanity Fair, she was the publication's drama critic, which was unprecedented for a woman to be. Oh, at time. yeah, I could see that. Um and she was an immediate success because she had that trademark wit and uh-huh. vivacious writing style. Um so it earned her a reputation for biting hilarity that the readers adored.
0: I can't wait to find out more. But first, how about a word from some other Max Fun shows?
1: Trans representation in media is at an all-time high, with trans entertainers gracing the screens large and small. But trans voices, especially black trans voices, are rarely centered in our own stories. That's why we bring you a new limited series called We See Each Other, the podcast, co-hosted by me, journalist and better half of the MaxFun podcast, Fanta, Travel Anderson, and me, award-winning journalist and media personality, Char Assel. All of it is based on my book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film, now listen, folks, we're having a very different kind of conversation. It's giving kitchen table talk. Mm-hmm. We get into the discourse, honey. Tune into We See Each Other, the podcast at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get Slayworthy Audio. The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom,
0: Diablo 4, Final Fantasy Sixteen, Street Fighter 6, Baldur's Gate 3, Starfield, Spider-Man 2, Master Detective Archives rain Code for Nintendo Switch? No? Is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge time for video games.
1: You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click. A video game podcast for anyone who likes games. Find us at maximumfun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.
0: I also have to imagine that like being a drama critic is a great way to like get your way into the like witty elite of mm-hmm. things of right because you are then one someone who is like in the social scene of like going to see theater right Right. and and like you're hanging out with people you're getting to meet these like writers and directors and actors and stuff Mm -hmm. and two you now have a job that highlights your intelligence and wit and sense of humor indeed and that kind of thing that is something that other witty people notice right
1: uh it did um get her into a little bit of trouble sure though one playwright was so offended by her review that he accused her of libel Oh, my. And in the same article about that, she also zinged beloved actress Billy Burke, Glinda, from the 1939 Wizard of Oz. Oh, yes, of course. um, In her work in a new play called Caesar's Wife, and said that Burke acted as if she were giving an impersonation of Ava Tangway. Now, I have to tell you about Ava Tangway because Ava Tangway was the queen of vaudeville and known for being quite lewd at the time. Ooh, la, la. But it would also so happen that Billy Burke was married to Florence Ziegfeld of the Follies. Oh, of Ziegfeld Follies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that circle um, was was very upset mm. with her. Uh, okay. So not not only did that kind of affect her social life, it also affected her job because – Zigfield was one of Vanity Fair's most reliable advertisers. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So her boss called her in, um, actually to the plaza for lunch and fired her.
0: Oh, man.
1: Uh, but be Dorothy. It's said that she promptly ordered the most expensive dessert on the menu and then
0: left. Yeah, I love this. I love that move. Didn't even eat the dessert. Um, n- not to my knowledge. Either way. Either way. Works. Either way.
1: All right. So here we get to what you mentioned earlier, the Algonquin Round Table. Yes. Um,
0: Which is a bunch of witty people just sitting around being witty.
1: Indeed. Right. So at her time during Vanity Fair, she and Robert Benchley and Robert Sherwood, um, who were extremely the, Bobs.
0: the 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 Roberts. Well, Bob's short for Robert. I don't know if you know In, this. Though. Anyway.
1: Uh, were extremely talented raconteurs of mm-hmm. the time. They
0: love raccoons. Um,
1: and they were a trio of friends. Um, and so they met for lunch like every day at the Algonquin Hotel. Mm-hmm. And it became kind of a famous meeting place.
0: is uh, like a storyteller, I said they love raccoons. And that was a joke. <laughs> <and> <laughs> I, I totally
1: ignored but it. But <laughs> I need
0: everyone to know that I know what raconteur means. It's like somebody who can like, tell a tale, you know, spin a yarn. Uh, can, like, hold people's attention while they tell the story and, like, jokes and stuff. Okay.
1: Um, And so... It's also
0: funny to pretend like it means, like, somebody who's just, like, way into raccoons.
1: From 1919 until roughly 1929, the Algonquin Roundtable was a massive group of New York City writers and critics and actors and artists and sharp-witted humorists who ate lunch together and basically just entertained each other for hours doing wisecracks and witticisms and wordplay. And, like, just talking about it made you kind of, like, part of that circle. So everyone talked about it.
0: Imagine... Imagine, okay, really, really think about it because I think that sometimes people hear about the Algonquin Roundtable and they don't fully contextualize it, right? But I think about this when I think, imagine you and your friends got together every day for lunch and were so smart and funny that like decades later, almost 100 years later, people talk about you guys getting together and being funny and witty. Can you imagine this wasn't like Well, i
1: can't imagine um because the new yorker that magazine was born at this table right um and dorothy and both of those roberts uh worked at the new yorker for a long time so like well not for a long time for a couple of years um and so like if you think about the new yorker as a magazine that's what the algonquin Round
0: Table was it's, it's just it's simply incredible to me, this idea of like, this wasn't like a recorded thing, like they weren't, this would be uh, like the most incredible podcast ever, frankly. If if you could go back in time and like sit and record the Algonquin Roundtable, right, just imagine, like the idea of being so funny, so witty, so clever, that it became like the reference point Mm -hmm. for people a century later Still referencing, like, oh, it's like some kind of Algonquin Roundtable. It just, it absolutely blows my mind.
1: Here are a couple of very famous Dorothy snippets from her time uh, at the Algonquin Roundtable. If you want to know what God thinks of money, just look at the people that he gave it to.
0: Oh!
1: Mm, here's another one. That woman speaks 18 languages, and she can't say no in any of them. Oh,
0: boy. Scandalous.
1: Here's one about herself. I don't care what's written about me, so long as it isn't true. That's funny. Funny. I've never met a millionaire, but I know I'd just be darling at it.
0: It's pretty good.
1: (laughs) Here's one. You can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think.
0: Oh, horticulture. And then it's a thing. Fa- uh, oh, Dorothy, you catbird.
1: Around 1929 is when the Algonquin Round Table was dissolved.
0: You know who else was a member of Algonquin? I just forget. Harbo Marks. Yeah. Very cool. The other ones are probably cool, too. But Harbo Marks was there, and that feels really great.
1: And Dorothy is largely credited with being the one who, when she left the table, disbanded. Uh, she left in 1929 to go to Hollywood.
0: Now, I might be wrong, and, uh, but from what I remember and what I was just looking at, I think she might have also been, as far as like regular people who were there, regular members, the only woman that was like a regular member of the Algonquin Round Table. That might be true. I don't. I might be wrong. At, at the very least, very limited number Indeed. compared yes. to how many men there yes, were. Yes,
1: very limited number of women. Um. So she moved to Hollywood And at the time, she was married to former actor Alan Campbell. And she would be married and be divorced and then be married and divorced and married again to Alan Campbell. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. And this is where she wrote the original screenplay for the original A Star is Born in 1939. She was part of that script writing um, duo. Okay. So, like... Everything really sounds like things are you know coming up roses for Dorothy here but
0: wait hold on I want to say, hold on I'm looking because I want to name the women who were on the Algonquin Roundtable go for it this is on AlgonquinRoundtable.org. um and this was written by Kevin Fitzpatrick. Um, so there was Dorothy Berger and Edna Ferber there was Margolow Gilmore there was Jane Grant. Ruth Hale, Beatrice Kaufman, Margaret Leach, and Peggy Wood are the ones covered in this. So, let's give them all their names. They were also in the Algonquin Roundtable. There awesome. we go.
1: Like I was saying, so uh, she wasn't really fond of her work in Hollywood. This is kind of like a returning theme for Dorothy where she'll have literary and social success but not really be happy about it.
0: Well, man, it sounds like, can I say, what she wants to be is like herself, Perform like once again, born 100 years too early mm. where she was like alive now. She would probably have an incredibly popular radio show or, like, podcast or YouTube channel or something and get to live full time just, like, being herself and being funny and being witty.
1: Maybe. Maybe. Uh, She did say that she always wanted to write a novel. And she did write
0: lots of collections
1: of short stories and poems and things. Uh, Novel has
0: so many words, man. Are you kidding me? Well,
1: but she never, never got around to it, I guess. And and like I said, her marriage was kind of in and out the door several times. Um, they had a complicated relationship uh, because Alan felt overshadowed by Dorothy's obvious talent and sure. personality. Yeah. Um, he was also a bisexual man, uh, which at the time, homosexuality in Hollywood was extremely stigmatized. And so that's a lot of pressure to add to a relationship, right? Um, and then throw in a kind of like... Society-wide struggle with alcohol and other substances. Sure, Um, And then you've got an extremely turbulent marriage, right? Yeah. Uh, So they were divorced in 47, remarried in 50, separated in 52, reconciled in 56, and were together until Alan died in 1963.
0: And also, simply uh, just not to breeze past it, you also have to think this is a a woman of, of Jewish descent Living through the 1940s. Yes,
1: definitely. And I think that, like we said earlier, she often felt ostracized. And so one of the things that she did really feel proud about was uh, activism. She was very earnest about politics and remained lifelong, but probably intermittent commitment to the causes of civil rights and civil liberties. Um, She was arrested in, uh, 19, in the 1920s, marching for the release of two anarchists, Sacco and Vincetti, the two uh, Italian-Americans who were being falsely accused of murder. Um, And later she would go to Spain to work against the fascist leader Francisco Franco during the Spanish Civil War. Um, She served as the Joint Anti-Fascist Refugee Committee's fundraising arm. Um, She organized Project Rescue Ship to safely transport anti-fascist veterans to Mexico. So she was really famous for keeping company of those in the queer community and fiercely protecting her um, LGBTQIA plus friends. In fact, the euphemism, a friend of Dorothy, for someone's being gay, is normally attributed to Judy Garland. But many people believe that Parker is the Dorothy that people are talking about. Interesting. I know, right? That was new to me because I had always thought it was Dorothy Gale from Kansas. Sure. Who goes over the rainbow, right? Yeah. But many people think it's Dorothy Parker. Very cool, right? She was in the midst of this very important work when she was accused of being a communist Ugh, in the McCarthy era.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, she was one of those that the FBI, like, compiled a huge dossier for, right? And that's some, a thousand pages or something uh, because of her suspected involvement in communism. Listen, all, so all that, that is So she was terrible. blacklisted.
0: I can't stress enough how terrible that all is, right? But... If someone would compile a thousand-page like dossier on me, I'd be very interested in that. Right? Like, All can right. you Well, I have a very bad memory, and the idea of somebody being like, "Yeah, we we did, man. We we have like a thousand pages on like your whole history." I'd be like, "Let me see that. <laughs> what did I do?" Okay, man. What they say about me? Awesome. Right now, listen. I It's once like again, a
1: biography of you while while you're living.
0: I wouldn't wish that on anyone to be blacklisted and to be targeted by the government as a communist and brought up on these anything like that. I'm just saying I would like to read a 1,000-page dossier on myself. If anybody has one. <laughs> Actually, don't tell me. In retrospect, I don't want to know.
1: Okay. I'm glad we've come to that conclusion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after she was blacklisted, she went to New York for a while. She went back to Hollywood and then finally left Hollywood for good and moved back to New York after... Alan Campbell, her on-again, off-again husband, died. So then, in her later years, she would not speak very highly of the Algonquin Roundtable. She put it rather bluntly that, quote, "...there were no giants." Think who was writing in those days, Lardner, Fitzgerald, Faulkner, and Hemingway. Those were the real giants. The round table was just a lot of people telling jokes and telling each other how good they were. Just a bunch of loudmouths showing off, saving their gags for days, waiting for a chance to spring them. It was the terrible day of the Wisecrack, so there didn't have to be any truth.
0: Interesting,
1: she's like, do you know what I see like that that pattern I was talking about where she has an accomplishment and then looks back and doesn't feel like she's really accomplished anything
0: yeah, i I also think I mean, it's interesting because once again, it's not recorded. it wasn't a thing they were publishing in any way, mm-hmm. right, but I also I know lots of like comedians and humorists and writers and stuff right that handled truth through jokes and mm-hmm. through wisecracks and through witticism that look back on the thing i'm like yeah there were people out there like actually like fighting the fight and doing stuff and like i was just making jokes and they don't see the value in that that they don't see the value in one like think about like john stewart and like john oliver and trevor noah and like guys like that who used humor to like make points mm-hmm. and there are people who then look back on it like, I could have been doing more. That's nothing. I was just being a silly gay.
1: Sure. Um, But so like she has a reputation for having a lot of very dark humor, uh, especially in her short poems and, and short stories and things like that. And I think that, I mean, that really kind of is apropos of the way that she felt about herself where like she seemed to be having a, the best time that she could, but she had kind of like a a cloud mm. over her own accomplishments. Sure. Um, and she also suffered with from alcoholism and depression, um, and so that kind of, like, criticalness that I think at first everybody really, like, loved her for kind of turned its ugly head onto her own work. But she remains a an extremely celebrated writer Uh, on June 7th 1967 she passed away from a heart attack at the age of 73 and in her obituary which I'm not certain who exactly wrote it says in her final illness Miss Parker was melancholy about her life's accomplishments she wanted to write again concise stories but she lacked the strength it's kind of it's For someone who's really celebrated for their humor, it's a really sad thing, I think. Um, But I actually, after reading several of her poems, I feel a kind of reminiscence to um, like Maria Bamford's Mm. work these days, where she talks a lot about the kind of darkness in her life and about her failures, but also her triumphs, and how she kind of wraps it all up in a, in a, a nice humor bow, if you know what I mean. So not only remembered for her writing, Dorothy died in the midst of the civil rights movement, and she attended at the time before her death, countless protests for equal protection under the law. Um, And upon her death, it was revealed that she bequeathed her entire estate to the Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Did she know him? No, she did not.
0: Just, just did. Hey, give a damn.
1: No, nope. she admired him and believed in the cause, and wanted to leave something to help, even if she could no longer march beside him. Um, and then it stated in the will that after his death, her estate would pass to the ownership of the NAACP.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. So now, if anyone wants to license their work, they have to go through the NAACP. Cool. So her, her wit and talent continue to shine through her poems and her books and, you know, all of the societal references to the Algonquin Round Table and certainly A Star is Born is a lasting tribute. She will always be one of the most shrewdly sensitive and elegant satir- satirists, excuse me. Of the Satirist. 20- Satirist. I was right the first yeah. time. Yeah. I should trust my brain. Uh, of the 20th century.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for uh, sharing that with us. And thank you to our researcher, Alex, without whom we wouldn't be able to make this show. Thank you to our editor, Rachel, without whom we wouldn't be able to make this show. And thank you for listening. I don't want to make this show without you, and no one can make me. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for listening. If you're listening to this on Friday, uh, today we're going to be performing in Columbus this evening. Uh, Schmanders is going to be there. Sawbones is going to be there. My brother, my brother and me is going to be there. So come and see that tonight. Uh, in columbus and then uh on may 20th we're doing adventure zone in columbus and on may 21st we're doing my brother my brother and me in milwaukee wisconsin that one's just my brother my brother and me uh but you can get those tickets at bit.ly slash mcelroy tours and come hang out with us what else Teresa?
1: we always like to thank brent brent of floss black for writing our theme music which is available as a ringtone where those are found also check out his musical con yeah what, isn't there a longer title?
0: No, I was calling the Star Trek musical, I believe.
1: The Star Trek parody musical. There you go. There it is. That's, uh, those tickets are available now. Um, also, thank you to Bruja Betty Penn at Photography for the cover picture of our fan run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give or get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and join that group today.
0: And that's going to do it for us. So join us again next week.
1: No RSVP required.
0: You've been listening to Schmanners.
1: Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it.